In this episode, we are studying Genesis chapter 32, and it's here that we read the account of Jacob's plan to seek reconciliation with his brother Esau before Jacob wrestles with God. So join me as we continue our walk through the Old Testament. At the start of Genesis chapter 32, we see that Jacob takes five initial steps in seeking reconciliation with his brother Esau. First, Jacob gains confidence experiencing God's presence. Next, Jacob sends an advance message to Esau. Third, we see Jacob confronting his fears. Fourth, Jacob prays for God's deliverance. And the fifth step, we see Jacob sending several gifts of goodwill to Esau. So let's look at the first step where we see Jacob gaining confidence experiencing God's presence, beginning in chapter 32, verse 1. Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mahanam. We see in this encounter that it parallels Jacob's encounter with God at Bethel in Genesis 28. Jacob had just left Laban at the border and was about to return to his homeland. And as he's approaching Canaan, Jacob is full of anxiety, knowing that it is very likely he will be meeting Esau. And so it's at this critical juncture that Jacob receives a special visitation from God. The text says the angels of God met him. And Jacob then named that place Mahanam, which means two camps. And this term suggests a temporary encampment used by angels as they went about doing God's bidding on earth. The term two camps may mean that the angels were themselves in two separate camps, but I think it actually refers to the angels' camp and Jacob's camp. And because Jacob was traveling at God's instructions, as delineated in chapter 31, verse 11 to 13, God is encouraging Jacob by revealing to him that the heavenly army is accompanying Jacob on his journey. Now, in the visitation from God that he had experienced at Bethel, Jacob saw angels and he named the place. And Jacob must have seen the angels as a sign of protection from God as it was in the earlier vision at Bethel. Let's continue in verse 3, where we see Jacob sending an advance message to Esau. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, and female servants. I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I might find favor in your sight. So we see here that Jacob is seeking to make contact with his brother Esau. He's not running away. And Esau has settled in the land of Seir. And it's better known by their wider geographic term, Edom. Now, these names should conjure memories and thoughts of Esau. For we know that Seir means hairy. Uh, and it's used to describe Esau in Genesis chapter 25, verse 25. And remember when, Jesus, when Esau sold his birthright, he was selling it for some red stew. 
and Adam, which means red, uh, is used in that term in Genesis chapter 25, verse 30. So although Esau now lived far from central Canaan, Jacob feared that Esau was still very angry at him and that on learning on Jacob's return, Esau would seek retaliation for the loss of the birthright and the patriarchal blessing. So to appease Esau, Jacob sends messengers ahead of him to instruct them to tell Esau about Jacob's sojourn with Laban and Jacob's acquired wealth. And in these instructions, you'll note that Jacob refers to Esau, his brother, as master or lord, indicating that he now looked on his brother with respectful deference. Now, by alluding to his own wealth, I think Jacob was informing Esau that Jacob had no longer any interest or need of any possessions that were currently owned by his brother. And he might even be suggesting that he was able to pay any financial reparations that Esau might demand. Well, let's continue with the third step that Jacob takes as he confronts his fears, beginning in verse 6. And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you, and there are four hundred men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps, thinking, if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. Well, we see here that Jacob's messengers returned much sooner than Jacob had anticipated. And they reported that Esau was approaching with 400 men. I think this report caught Jacob by surprise and probably elevated his fears. Having no idea or clue as to what was Esau's intent, Jacob was troubled, I think, with potential wild thoughts of what Esau might intend to do to him. And so therefore, Jacob divides his people and his flock and herds and camels into two groups. And his actions was actually in accord with what he had sawed at Mahanam. Remember Mahanam meaning two camps? So Jacob sought to make it possible for at least some of his family and group to escape should there be an attack by Esau. Well, let's continue and read Jacob's fourth step, him praying to God for deliverance, beginning in verse 9. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, Return to your country and to your kindred, that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So it is here that we see that Jacob prays earnestly for God's help. And he addresses God using three names, God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, 
and the Hebrew term Yahweh, which our English Bible translates, O Lord. These are the same three names that God used of himself when he spoke to Jacob in the dream at Bethel, remember, when he was fleeing from Esau? In the patriarchal period, God is best known as the God of one's father. And so at the outset of his prayer, Jacob reminds God of two things. First, Jacob was following God's orders, so it was because of that that he's facing this crisis. And two, God had promised to make him prosper. So Jacob is praying God's promises back to him. Jacob then prays God for the kindness and faithfulness that had been shown to him, humbly acknowledging that he was completely unworthy of God's blessing. And specifically, Jacob praised God for the abundance of his children and flocks. Because when he had left Canaan, remember, he had only his staff. He had nothing else, remember? And on his return, he possessed so much more that they had to encompass and make up two camps. And so humbly and devoutly, Jacob identified himself as God's servant. Next, Jacob asked God to save him from Esau's power, as Jacob mentions that he has fear from an attack from his brother. And we see that this is a very simple pattern of prayer found in Scripture, this call for deliverance from difficult or oppressive circumstances. We see it frequently in the Psalms and certainly other parts of the Old Testament. So Jacob is strengthening his petition by recounting to God the promises of prosperity and the descendants that God had given him in terms of the Abrahamic blessing. And I think by reiterating to God of the divine purposes and promises that he had given Jacob, he reminded God of what was at stake in his meeting with Esau. Because Jacob is repeating the promises that God had made to Abraham, which are now to be given to him, including the promise that his descendants be as innumerable as the sand of the sea, for God to fulfill this promise, God would have to rescue Jacob's family. Well, let's look at the fifth step that Jacob takes by sending gifts of goodwill to his brother Esau. Let's look at verse 13. So he stayed there that night, and from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau, 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. These he handed over to his servants, every drove by itself, and said to his servants, Pass on ahead of me and put a space between drove and drove. And he instructed the first, When Esau my brother meets you and asks you, To whom do you belong? Where are you going? And whose are these headed ahead of you? Then you shall say, They belong to your servant Jacob. They are a present sent to my Lord Esau. And moreover, he is behind us. He likewise instructed the second and the third and all who followed the droves. You shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him, and you shall say, Moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he thought, I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me, and afterward I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed ahead of him, and he stayed that night in the camp. So once Jacob had resolved that he was going to spend the night in that place, Jacob prepared a huge gift for his brother Esau, 
I mean, let's look at this again. 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes, 20 rams, 30 female camels and their young, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, 10 male donkeys. This is an extravagant, generous gift. And Jacob's gifts were to indicate to Esau that Jacob is not interested in taking anything that Esau may have inherited. These gifts are very generous. And in fact, the amount of livestock present here is larger than the possessions that many towns would have been able to pay in tribute should they be conquered by another country or another king. So if Esau or his men had plunder on his mind, it would save them the trouble and make the trip worth their effort by just accepting these gifts. The size of this gift also demonstrates that Jacob acknowledged that he had in fact inflicted great pain and damage on Esau, having usurped and stolen the birthright and the blessing. And apportioning these animals into several companies under the care of his servants, And ordering them to go ahead, it gave some space between these herds and perhaps a bit more time for Esau to think what he was going to do. These companies were to station themselves at different locations along the road on which Esau was approaching. And so when Esau would arrive at a particular station, Jacob's servant was to tell Esau that these were Jacob's flocks and they were a gift from him. Each servant was to address Esau as Lord and they were to refer to Jacob as servant. All this Jacob hoped would pacify Esau, that by receiving these gifts, the accompaniment of deference that Jacob was showing through his servants in several stages, hoping that this repetitive presentation would soften Esau's anger so that he would receive his younger brother. Notice that the Bible reads, I will see his face, and perhaps he will lift up my face, Nasa Panam. Face captures a critical issue. If the anger was removed from Esau's face, Jacob hoped that he might see his brother's face and that Esau would look on his face with respect. And so intent on meeting Esau face to face as he owns up to his past behavior, Jacob is resolving he is not fleeing, He is not hiding, and he's not attempting any trickery with his brother. Now, to prepare himself for the meeting, Jacob stays behind, and he spends the night in the camp. Well, let's read what happens next, beginning in verse 22. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had, and Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. 
But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. So we see here that Jacob is deeply troubled, unable to sleep. And so he gets up and he crosses the ford of the Jabbok with his family and the remaining possessions. And there are probably two possible reasons for doing this after dark. The first possibility is that Jacob just did not want to be involved with getting his family across the Jabbok the next morning when Esau arrives. The second possibility is that Jacob actually felt a strong need to spend the night alone in meditation and prayer. Well, whatever the reason it was, Jacob was left alone. And I think he was feeling safe from attack during the night. But before dealing with Esau, Jacob had to deal with God. And it's interesting that these divine encounters frame Jacob's time away from Canaan. Remember, when Jacob left Canaan, God appeared to him at Bethel, promising to be with him in Genesis 28. And now, before he re-enters Canaan, God meets him again. And whereas in the first encounter, Jacob has a dream, this time he had to wrestle long and hard with a man before winning a divine blessing. And in God's judgment, Jacob's struggle was against his own deceptive, cunning, self-serving ways rather than against Esau. And what took place that night would determine the character of Jacob's meeting with Esau. So when Jacob was praying for God's help, we see that a man wrestles with him until daybreak. Now, the description of this wrestling match is intentionally, I think, enigmatic, difficult to understand. And we don't really know explicitly um, from the text the identity of the wrestler. Furthermore, there's even ambiguity in terms of the use of pronouns in the Hebrew text, which somewhat conceals the course of the fight so that the reader just feels with David or with Jacob the the mystery of his struggle with some sort of ominous foe for example like when you first read it whose thigh was initially injured who wanted to end the fight who's the one that's asking for the blessing of course i mean we come to suspect that it's Jacob struggling with the heavenly being possibly the angel of the lord the narrator identifies the opponent simply as a man to stress that Jacob was fighting a real opponent. Throughout the night, Jacob puts up this fierce struggle, and neither wrestler was able to overpower the other. But as dawn begins to break, one of the wrestlers exerts a great effort in an attempt to end the match. And that wrestler attacks the other's leg so hard that he puts the, the socket or he wrenches the socket of his opponent's hip. Only later do we realize it's, in fact, Jacob that was, that was wounded. But nevertheless, uh, Jacob holds on and he refuses to surrender. While exhausted, the wrestlers turned into a verbal contest. And the man pleads with Jacob, let me go for it is daybreak. 
He did not want the light to reveal his identity. Taking advantage of his opponent's desire to depart, Jacob refuses and says he won't let him go unless he blessed him. Now, the term bless here means that Jacob sought some sort of vital power, um, maybe some greater stamina that he would prosper in Canaan, or maybe the power of destiny that would guarantee success in dealing with Esau. And so in blessing him, this heavenly being would speak words to direct Jacob's destiny for good and success. The opponent responded by asking for his name. And Jacob answered and said, Jacob. Now, in speaking his name, Jacob, which means like trickster or finagler, he's confessing that his disposition was to deceive others for personal gain. Well, the wrestler responds that his name would no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because he had struggled with God and with men and had overcome. Israel means God fights. Or it could also mean you have fought with God. Now, this account is vital for the people who bear the name Israel because it gives us the understanding of the origin of the name Israel. And it records that their identity was defined by this special encounter with God. Now, this changing of Jacob's name from Jacob to Israel, it reveals the power of this opponent and the power that he had over Jacob, as well as his heavenly role. For in giving names uh, and in giving Jacob a new name, he is basically altering Jacob's character and destiny. Remember when the wives, uh, Leah and Rachel, naming their children, there is authority in giving names. And we see here an authority that the opponent, that this man had over Jacob. And as the narrative will reveal, the change for Jacob was, in fact, a change of character. And we'll see in the accounts that follow that Jacob will never resort again to deceit as a means of getting his own way. But rather, Jacob will place his relationship with God above all personal gain. Jacob, the one who had deceived and used others, is now the one who struggled with God until God molded him into the vessel that he desired. And the reference to his prevailing with men points to his prevailing over Laban and Esau. Jacob's new name doesn't shield him, though, from the obstacles and tragedies of life. And he is going to continue to have dealings with people who will deceive him, causing him pain. Two of the more agonizing incidences are going to be when his children use circumcision as a ruse to slaughter the inhabitants of Shechem when Dinah was raped, forcing Jacob to leave the place where he had bought some land in Genesis 34. And we'll also see when his ten sons lead him through a false conclusion that his favorite son Joseph had been killed in Genesis 37. Jacob will bear these grieves rather than striking back at those who deceived him and harmed him. Now, the claim that Jacob won the wrestling match, uh, as underscored by his name Israel, does raise um, a somewhat troubling question. So how could his foe declare that Jacob overcame or won in the struggle since he suffered a disabling blow? Well, I think there are three reasons. First, we see that Jacob does fight until he persuades the man to bless him. 
this blessing empowered the power, the promises that had been given to Abraham with which Jacob had ended his prayer in verse 12. And what he had taken from his father by deceit is now his through an honorable struggle. If these promises were operative, Esau was powerless to harm his family since Jacob's seed held that promise. Second, Jacob persisted in fighting until the man changed his name from one that implied a negative character trait, Jacob, to a glorious name with spiritual overtones, Israel. And third, Jacob saw God face to face. And we see that in verse 30. And it's out of that meeting that he gains confidence to face Esau. And we'll soon see that when Esau arrived, Jacob met him first. He didn't follow his original plan of being there last. And by settling accounts with God, Jacob won reconciliation with Esau. And Jacob learned that his real struggle was actually with God, not with his brother. So gaining confidence, Jacob asked his opponent to tell him what his name was, desiring to match his opponent verbally as he had physically. Now, to learn a person's name provides access to that person. Skillfully, the opponent avoided giving his name by asking why Jacob wanted to know it. And with this question, the heavenly being is refusing to make himself accessible to Jacob. Well, despite denying Jacob's request, he did bless Jacob and then departed. Now, having seen God face to face, Jacob names that place Peniel, which means face of God. When the text says that Jacob had seen God face to face, it's indicating more that he had direct contact with God, not that he actually looked on God's face. Jacob acknowledged that his opponent was more than one of the heavenly messengers, and in light of other divine human encounters reported in the book of Genesis, I believe that this person is most likely the angel of God, same as in Genesis chapter 16, verse 7. And that is what I believe to be an actual theophany of the second person of the Trinity. Well, as the sun rose, Jacob crossed the Jabbok and joined his family again. And because of the blow inflicted during the wrestling bout, he's walking with a limp. Ironically, having won a blessing from God, Jacob was actually weakened physically. Every day, his limp reminded him that he was to rely on God rather than on his own self. Now, there are several concrete details that mark the dramatic change in Jacob's character. We see the change in Jacob's name. We see the change in his physical trait, that is, now he's limping. There's his naming of the place Peniel, which acknowledges that he had seen God face to face. And there's the initiation of a food regulation. In memory or commemoration of the wound that Jacob had suffered during the battle or this wrestling match, the Israelites were not to eat the tendon that's attached to the socket of the hip. Jacob's hip or his thigh is closely identified with Jacob's offspring, who are those who come out of the thigh of Jacob. These tangible details anchor this mysterious event to reality. You see, unlike Genesis chapter 28, Jacob was not dreaming this time. Jacob had a real encounter with the pre-incarnate Christ. 